music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, CJ Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, we got some big news uh, this past week coming out from uh, uh, the BTS uh, scene, or the K-pop scene, I should say. BTS released a new music video for their single dynamite apparently and it broke youtube record for most views in 24 hours and on top of that uh my local radio station covered this news they covered the song covered the band and i even heard a little snippet of the song when they played it on the air and from that little snippet my my curiosity was peaked so i went out and checked the song it's actually not that bad. Very catchy, very fun, very light. Uh, like I said, BTS, or I should say that video, racked up 101.1 million views at the end of its first day. And so uh, I was I was surprised. You know, I knew K-pop was big. I didn't know it was that big, although I'm pretty sure there was some teenagers who just hit replay and listened to it all day. But I think I was surprised because of how much animosity there is towards the k-pop group on twitter and just how toxic that kind of environment can be i mean when you have that big of a following there's going to be some toxicity in that group on that online group so i i think i always stayed away from the music because of that negative connotations with the fan base and i've also seen it you know with my own eyes but after listening to, to this song, I was just like, you know what? Maybe I should give K-pop a, a, a chance. I should listen to BTS or Luna and whatever else. I only know those two, but that's because I see them like trending all the time on Twitter. So maybe, you know, I should uh, I should see what's, what, what's all the, uh, the, the fuss is about. And, you know, I was thinking about it. Has there ever been a genre or a band or a group that I just stayed away from, but because I know about the fan base. I know how toxic or overwhelming their fan base can be. And I was trying to think of that in terms of music and the music scene. I don't think I thought of anything. My mind ended up turning to video games. I'm a, I'm a gamer. I play the video games. And I know Sonic is a huge gaming titan owned by, well, created by Sega, now owned by Nintendo. But I never played a, a Sonic title because the negative connotations with the Sonic fandom always kept me from playing a Sonic game. And again, I've seen how Sonic fanboys can act on Twitter, on social media, on YouTube. And I'm just like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll stay away from that as far as I can. Although I have gotten curious uh, as to how a Sonic title plays or, or, or making my own opinion on the Sonic franchise. But yeah, my mind immediately went to video games. Couldn't think of a music example. Uh, I mean, I guess there's black metal. There are a lot of negative connotations surrounding black metal. Honestly, I really am not familiarized with metal. I have listened to some thrash metal bands. I've listened to some sludge metal bands like Melvin's. I've also listened to My War by Black Flag, but uh, does that really count? I don't know. But I, I, I guess black metal and 
and K-pop are, are, are have some some similarities because I kind of stay away from them because of the community or the, the the fan base surrounding those genres. But I was wondering, do you guys have a genre outside of K-pop or maybe even black metal that you kind of stay away from because of negative experiences from the the the, the community? Let me know. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Sound Encounters. You can also send me a voice message on Anchor fm forward slash sound encounters let me know if there are any genres groups bands and artists that you stay away from because of the community it might be an interesting experiment for me to listen to k-pop and not be brainwashed by the negative discourse surrounding k-pop like on twitter we'll just have to see i got a great show for you this week we'll be talking about neo psychedelia what that is, and five essential albums to get you into that genre. But first, as always, we got to talk about this past week in music. All right, so a very different past week in music than the previous week, because if you can recall, I didn't really listen to any LPs that previous week. I only listened to singles. Now this week, we have, you know, we have a good number of singles again, but so many LPs came out this past week from a new Nas record, a new Bride Heist record, a new Killers record. But before we get into that, I of course, I got to talk about the singles. The first track I listened to this week was Waving Smiling by Angel Olsen. This is the second single from her forthcoming album, whole new mess this is another stripped back indie folk song with a warm and mellow guitar melody and and olsen's you know beautiful singing i just wish there was something more to sink my teeth in when it comes to the song it it sounds like the blueprint of a larger song or it, it sounds like a demo and and that's not a good thing plus it ends abruptly making it feel more unfinished and and unrefined so eh it's a good start, I just wish there was more. Next, I listened to Fighting for Equality by RZA and Ghostface Killa. Uh, this song was released as a part of a soundtrack for this new movie called Cutthroat City. Don't know what that is, never heard of it. But man, is this song so freaking good. The only thing that was going through my mind was how classic it was. It sounded like it was straight from the early days of Wu-Tang. You got fire production, the beat was on point, Rizza's verse flowed so well, and his rhymes were on point. Ghostface's wasn't as in-your-face as Rizza's. It was still nice, especially his rhyming, but Rizza was definitely the MVP on this track. One of my favorite new tracks from this past week, Wu-Tang Clan, Ain't Nothing to Fuck With. And now I am get to talk about one of the worst songs I've heard this week, Entrepreneur by Pharrell Williams and Jay-Z. To put it lightly, this song is a mess. The production is all over the place. First, we have that woo, woo, woo repeated in the background and a a sample saying something that pops up all over the track. Then we have Pharrell's annoying whispering throughout this track and his repeated, you know, black man, black man, like, what is this? It gets so annoying and it gets, it's just really unnecessary, actually. The song ends with this repeated phrase and it gets so mind-numbing. I think Jay-Z's verse was fine. It's 
better than the rest of the song. It's the best thing on the song. And then from the middle of his verse onward, these dramatic strings come in and start building. And that sounded good until Pharrell comes back in. And then at that point, I'm just waiting for the song to be over. I, I wouldn't recommend listening to this track. It's, it's, it's not good whatsoever. And then Father John Misty, an indie folk darling, released two new singles, 2S and 2R. 2S is beautifully arranged with swelling strings and a somber piano melody. Honestly, kind of reminds me of Radiohead. And maybe Jay Tillman uh, was inspired by Greenwood's uh, string arrangements. And it's a love ballad. And it, it seems like Misty's lover is in a depressive state. And Misty is trying to reassure them or, or, or be there for them. So it's, it's a beautiful song. It's, it's a touching song. Very wonderful. And 2R has more of a focus on the piano and drums with the strings in the background. It's another song addressed to somebody, another dreary ballad, not as captivating as the last song, but still pretty good. A good one-two punch from Father John Missy this week. Go check those songs out. And finally, we have The Plan from the movie Tenet by Travis Scott. Tenet is the new Christopher Nolan film. Didn't expect this team up. Didn't expect this type of song, honestly. We have these booming, propelling synths that pop in and out of the song. And I guess because it is a Hollywood film, this type of song is expected. But at the same time, it's very predictable. Travis really does nothing to make the song exciting, in my opinion. Just an average track didn't do much for me. Okay, and now moving on to the LPs. First up, we have the new Killers record, Imploding the Mirage. This is their sixth studio album, you know them, beloved pop rock group. We all know Mr. Brightside. It's been memed to hell. And uh, I've had an on and off relationship with this band for the past couple of years. Haven't been too invested in their music, but because I have listened to the singles leading up to this record, I was just curious to how the full project was going to sound like. And as the singles indicated, this album pays homage to 80s synth pop and Springsteen-esque Heartland Rock. And it's an interesting sound. It's a nostalgic sound. But I have to say, this has to be one of the most unoriginal and derivative albums that I've heard this year. I reviewed Dying Braid a week ago when it first dropped. And now that I've had some time with it, it just sound ripped off from Springsteen's Born to Run. In fact, the synth guitar riff in the song bears a striking resemblance to the main riff in the song Born to Run. On top of that, the song is just a bland attempt to make energetically stadium rock. Caution relies too heavily on its soaring synths and Flowers' lively vocal delivery, and I will admit it was a nice bop at first, but the more I listen to it, the less impressive it is. It just seems that they're making boring and unoriginal 80s synth pop songs without adding anything worthwhile to the formula. There's also a lot of filler on this record that goes in one ear and out the other, like the lifeless blowback, the static lightning fields, and the rehashed ideas and messy execution of when the dreams run dry. At least they didn't waste the Weissblood feature that they got on the song My God. That song actually feels more killers than anything, despite this very predictable drum rhythm and, and, and its use of synths. And I was going to make a joke about how Flowers probably listened to a lot of War on Drugs before recording this album. Then I found out Adam Grandusiel from War on Drugs was a featured musician on this record. And that makes a lot of sense because the opener, My Own Soul's Warning, sounds very much like a War on Drugs song. I'm actually not sure if Grandusiel was featured on this song specifically, but the rising upbeat synths and even how Flower sings and how his voice is manipulated is very much War on Drugs. 
it's actually my favorite song on the record, surprisingly, even if it's not entirely original. But I don't think this is an album I'll be returning to. Very unimaginative from The Killers. And it's honestly just really sad. Moving on, I listened to In Sickness and In Flames by The Front Bottoms. This is the fifth studio album from the Jersey folk punk band. I have a soft spot for this band, despite their last couple of albums being a little lackluster. On their second studio album, Talent of the Hawk, they displayed talent in creating energetic and catchy pop punk and folk punk songs. So I was hoping after the train wreck that was going gray that they would learn from their mistakes and deliver at least a decent album with a track list of consistent and well-rounded songs. And that's pretty much what we got on this record. A lot of catchy hooks, delightful guitar melodies, and Brian Silla's sort of awkward singing delivery that I like. Not sure if everyone will agree with me, but I, I do like his, his vocal delivery. But songs like Everyone Blooms, Camouflage, The Truth, and Fairbanks, Alaska remind me of their work from the Talent of the Hawk era. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's not terrible considering what we got on the last record. It definitely appeals to fans like me who love that record, but at the same time, let's evolve that sound and not regress or stay consistent because that's boring. I will say there are some surprises along the way, like the heavier and exuberant leaf pile with its power pop guitars and shouty vocals. It's not bad, and I had a good time with it. And also there is the track The Hard Way, which is a five-minute wandering guitar melody with strings and an organ worked into the instrumentation. The execution doesn't exactly land, but it's not terrible. I have more of an issue with the lyrics, which are a bit cheesy. But the words that I would use to describe this new Front Bottoms record would be not terrible, which is the highest praise I can give to this band at, at this point in their career. All they needed to deliver was a competent record to win back the fans that they lost the last two releases. And this is what In Sickness and In Flames is. Moving on, we have Down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was by Bright Eyes. This is their 10th studio album, and it's been almost a decade since their last release in 20. 11. And from the singles leading up to this release, we knew we were getting their brand of indie rock and, and, and folk, but we were also in for some symphonic arrangements as well. And you know what? It sounds great. This record is an emotional roller coaster as we have moments of optimism and hope. And then we have these contrasting moments where Oberist is at his worst and he's grieving. It plays very much into the title of this record, as well as its theme, that being every once in a while we'll find ourselves down in the weeds, and that's completely normal. But we can't stay down there for too long. It's it's dangerous for us. And Oberus tells us to look for the light in our darkest moments. The second track, Dance and Sing, is a perfect summary of this theme, as it's a rumination on life and its imperfections and the inevitable tragedies it'll throw our way. We can't let them disparage us. Oberist states that all we can do is just dance and sing. During the time between this record and the last Bright Eyes record, Oberist went through a divorce with his ex-wife of seven years, and his older brother Matthew passed away in 2016. And he touches on these events throughout the album, but he's always finding a way to look at the good in life. Just Once in the World is another optimistic song about how incredible people are, whether it be walking on the moon, or supporting your loved ones. And I have to talk about the arrangements on this record. The folky country rock mixes surprisingly well with the symphonic and electronic. 
A lot of these songs go through different phases and, and shifts between those phases seamlessly. One and Done is a mix of a soft rock jam with an orchestral piece of gentle piano and swelling strings. There's also a lot of vocal manipulation and sampling near the end that, played with the energetic drums and dramatic strings, make it one of the album's most chaotic moments. By far my favorite track is Two Deaths Heart in Three Parts, a track that begins with Oberist's vocals and a, and a female backing vocalist, and it's very dreamy and atmospheric, but then as the song progresses through the different parts, it starts incorporating more instrumentation and it builds into this epic climax. Honestly, I wish this was the last track of the record because the two tracks that follow this one just feel tacked on, but this record is filled with interesting and grand arrangements and, and thoughtful and emotional lyricism. I'm thinking Bright Eyes is back, folks. Great record. And finally, we have King's Disease by Nas. This is the 12th studio album from legendary New York rapper Nas. And his output over the last decade wasn't too hot. He only released two full-length albums and the Lost Tapes 2 compilation album with varying degrees of success. So with this new release, the big question is, what does Nas sound like in 2020? The answer is pretty good. Nas enlisted Hip Boy to produce the entire record, and I have to say I was impressed with most of his beats. His style is a combination of jazzy, funky, and atmospheric. He can also get a bit aggressive or energetic if he needs to, like on Blue Bends and The Definition. Some of my favorite beats are the chill and soulful title track. I love that smooth beat switch on Blue Bends, the atmospheric and funky full circle, and my favorite, the light and down-tempo beat of Car 85. So we know the production is good. How is Nas on this record? This is an album that is equally introspective and conscious. Nas does come through with some fire bars and captivating storytelling. He paints a vivid picture of his younger years on Car 85, He's got a decent flow, and all the parts come together to create probably my favorite moment on the record. The definition is short, only clocking in at two minutes, but Nas's verse speaks volumes. He touches on racial injustice, corrupt government, climate change deniers, and his flow is just so smooth. The production was also on point with these light synths playing in the background, and of course the bass heavy beat. Full Circle is another introspective highlight, but it's an even sweeter moment as it reunites The Firm, an old hip-hop group consisting of Nas, AZ, Foxy Brown, and Cormega. And if that wasn't enough, there's also a surprise feature from Dr. Dre at the very end. Honestly, it's just so great to hear Nas and AZ again. It's been like almost two decades since they've been on a track together. Good track, even though not everyone brings their A-game, Foxy Brown. Uh, um, but the closing track, The Cure, serves as the closing track to like Nas's career, as he talks about the work and dedication he's put into his craft over the decades. The production reflects that with triumphant horns playing in the background. And this is also a fitting end to the King's Disease narrative. The King's Disease is this disease uh, of not taking care of yourself because of your riches and letting yourself go and, and having this early death. He states that the cure is never forgetting who you are, and despite how much wealth and success might come your way, don't let it get to your head. It's a great message with A-tier storytelling from Nas. The record does have its uh, cons, as there are some corny lyrics sometimes, like on All Bad, which is about unrequited love. Like, am I the only one that thinks it's funny that Nas is being left on red? Like, he's, he's Nas. 
But to be fair, it, it's a relatable track. We've all been there. Maybe even Nas before Illmatic dropped. I, I don't know. But to wrap up my thoughts on this project, there are definitely more positives than negatives on this record, but it's somewhat disjointed flow keeps this from being one of my favorite records of this year. Still, you gotta give it to Nas and Hitboy. They pulled off a pretty decent release. I was surprised by King's Disease, to say the least. And that does it for this past week in music. What were some of your favorite singles? What were some of your favorite records from this past week? Hopefully you found your new favorite record or band after uh, I went over this past week in music. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, I'll go over Neo Psychedelia. Stay tuned, everybody. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I had mentioned that we were going to go over Neo Psychedelia and five essential albums to get you into the genre. So what is Neo Psychedelia? Neo Psychedelia refers to the evolution of the psychedelia sound from the 60s, which includes replicating or updating the sound and styles of bands like the Beatles, Pink Floyd, or the Birds. Some characteristics of this genre include clean electric guitars, pop-like songwriting, use of reverb, distortion, or other studio effects, and bold arrangements. While neo-psych has a reputation of being a drug genre that focuses on replicating the use of psychedelics, there are also some bands that focus on surreal or political lyrics. So it's not all just drugs and Woodstock. Neo-psychedelia is still prevalent today, and it's interesting to see the shape that it's taken in the modern musical landscape. Ever since the 2000s, neo-psych artists have been relying on electronic instruments, synthesizers, and we still see effects being used today. There's also been a greater focus on pop songwriting, as we've seen bands like MGMT and Tame Impala skyrocket in popularity. We can also attribute their popularity with the indie and alternative scene, turning their attention to psychedelic music, and artists like the two that I just mentioned saw this trend and injected indie and alt-rock and even alternative dance characteristics into their music. So because of that, it can be hard to distinguish or identify these genres and styles from each other and figuring out if a band is neo-psych or indie or alternative. Deer Hunter was one of those bands that I had trouble distinguishing for a while. But luckily, I have a list of five essential albums that will familiarize you with this genre. Starting with number one, Yourself is Steam by Mercury Rev, released in 1991. Mercury Rev is a New York psych group consisting of Jonathan Donahue, Sean Grasshopper McElwike, Suzanne Thorpe, Dave Friedman, Jimmy Chambers, and David Baker. Baker and Donahue would swap vocal duties and they traded off different verses and choruses or they might sing at the same time. This is quite the eccentric and chaotic listen as we have vocals that are obscured by heavy manipulation along with swirling disordered guitars. The eclecticism of the instrumentation and the vocal deliveries make this one hell of an anxious listen. Take Syringer Mouth for example with its heavy guitar riff driving the rhythm. What makes this song psychedelic is the mix of Donahue's calm vocals and with Baker's wild and warped vocals. You don't really know what to focus on. Donahue seems like he's trying to speak directly at you, trying to have a conversation with you, while Baker is yelling off in the distance, not really 
talking to anyone, just screaming at the top of his lungs. Baker goes further off the rails as he just starts screaming yeah and yeah towards the end of the song. I'm a fan of his manic performance on this record, to be honest. And we have another example of Baker's intriguing vocal performance on the opener, Chasing the Bee. This is a bold opener. We have the acoustic guitar as our foundation, as bizarre sound effects play along with the vocals. And then we get to the hook, and the guitars explode and become distorted and soar immensely, opening up the scope of this song. Getting back to Baker, his vocals take on this transcending quality as they reverberate and fill the now opened up space of this song. Baker also has a unique way of singing, sometimes changing his voice to sound cartoonish, and it's something that I really like. It has a bit of flavor to this band. I also have to mention Thorpe's woodwind playing on this record, especially this song because it comes out of nowhere, but it's completely welcomed as it also adds something new to the instrumentation without it feeling out of place. I also like how it's gentle up until the hook, where it tries to keep up with the chaos as best as it can. Mercury Rev are also considered a, a shoegaze band, and I can definitely see why. The track Frittering has noisy, distorted guitars and distant reverb vocals that swirl around your head. If you pay attention, you can hear the acoustic guitar buried underneath all the noise and distortion, much like the acoustic guitar in Chasing a Bee. And I can't talk about this record without mentioning the 12-minute closer, Very Sleepy Rivers. Thorpe's woodwind plane is ominous. There's a sound effect that sounds like water crashing onto the shore. There's creeping and hypnotic guitars, and the whispered and disturbing vocal delivery from Baker makes this a very eerie track. Apparently, this track is about a serial killer, and the river acts as a metaphor for the killer's relatively calm and sudden tendency to snap, and if that doesn't send shivers up your spine, I don't know what will. Not only is your self-esteem an important neo-psych record, but it's an important record that pushes the limitations of pop and rock music. And number two, we have Screamadelica by Primal Scream, also released in 1991. And if I could just like get off topic here, 1991 is like my favorite fucking year of music. There's this, there's your self-esteem, Loveless came out. Spiderland and Nevermind came out. We had that debut album from Slow Dive and the last Talk Talk record. Such a phenomenal year for music. Honestly, like two of those records are on my favorites of all time. Uh, but anyway, getting back on topic. You might start this record and be a bit confused as to why a neo-psych album would start with this gospel and dance-inspired tune moving on up. That's because UK band Primal Scream decided to merge house music, which was gaining some traction at the time, with neo-psych as well as some gospel and dub influence. Because of that, we are presented with a very unique and genre-hopping album from the gospel glee of Moving On Up and Come Together, the pulsating techno beat of Don't Fight It, Feel It, and the instrumental dance piece Loaded. But the reason that I and many others hail it as an essential neo-psychedelic album is because there are several brilliantly arranged psychedelic pieces on this record. The first being Slip Inside This House, which is a cover of the 13th Floor Elevator song. They were a psychedelic band that got their start during the 60s. But that's not all. Primal Scream also samples a song by Sly and the Family Stone, who were also prominent figureheads in the psychedelic soul genre around the late 60s and early 70s. And on top of that, they also sampled a song by the Winstons, who were a soul and gospel band. 
Guitarist Robert Young handled vocals on this track, and they are altered to melt and flow along with the song. So we are hearing Primal Scream's knack for combining the old with the new, while also adding influences outside of psychedelia. Again, replicating that sound, but also adding a bit of flavor, a bit of personality to that established sound. Then we have the minimalistic and spaced out instrumental of Inner Flight, which adds some light woodwinds and samples a Brian Eno song. Neo-psych music doesn't have to be these grandiose, all-encompassing compositions. It could just be these simple, spaced-out arrangements. And Primal Scream is starting to incorporate samples in their music, and we'll see Neo-psych incorporating more and more samples throughout the years. It doesn't just have to be studio effects and distorted guitars. Finally, we have both versions of Higher Than the Sun on this record. The three-minute single version, which was produced by electronic artists The Orb, features this down-tempo techno beat along with lead vocalist Bobby Gillespie's hushed vocals. It's a wonderful fusion of psychedelic and techno music, but the eight-minute version near the end of the record is the true masterpiece. For the entire runtime of this song, you are plunged into this trance that makes you feel like Gillespie's repeated line, I'm higher than the sun. His vocals echo out before dissipating like smoke. There's also an eerie drone and ethereal synth that peek out and pulsate in the background. A very trippy yet relaxing track. Definitely in an idiosyncratic record, but it's still packed with these little nuggets of psychedelic treasures. Moving on at number three, we have Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space by Spiritualized, released in 1997. I had a back and forth with myself debating whether to put Spiritualized or Spaceman 3 on this list. In the end, Spiritualized 1, mainly because I know more about Spiritualized than Spaceman 3, just a little. I did listen to this band first, and this record was my first exposure to Jason Pierce. Pierce, also known as Jay Spaceman, is the man behind both Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized, which are both space rock and neo-psych groups. He formed Spiritualized after Spaceman 3 broke up and continued to make entrancing space rock music with some neo-psych worked in, of course. This is the third full-length Spiritualized record, and it offers a lot of elegant and astronomical songs. I Think I'm In Love has spacey and tripped-out pianos, strings, and vocal harmonies, which is appropriate for the way Pierce sings about love and drugs. This record was recorded following Pierce's breakup with the band's keyboardist Kate Radley, while he states that most of the album was written before their breakup, you could still do some last-minute changes, right? Either way, the lyrics on I Think I'm In Love refer to taking heroin and forgetting about the devastating breakup and not caring about that person anymore. So yeah, we get more like, uh, neo-psychedelic music is just drug music, and sure, you can sing about drugs and neo-psych music. The song ends with the phrase, I think I'm in love, repeating, and the synths fading out along with that phrase. Stay With Me is a bit more mellow as Pierce's vocals are whispered and airy, the guitars are gentle and lush, and the synths create this warm drone. This eventually crescendos with the guitar becoming distorted in an organ replacing the synths. Pierce's vocals remain quiet, making this track more dreamy than anything. Cool Waves takes a more gospel approach to the songwriting as an organ, some horns, and a choir are the main focus of the chorus. While it's just Pierce singing, his vocals sound like they are recorded through a telephone line, like he's trying to reach us from a spacecraft orbiting the planet. A melancholic string section accompanies Pierce's vocals, and then the switch 
between these two parts to make this one of the record's most interesting arrangements. Then the record concludes with the epic cop shoot cop. The piano is at the center of this 17-minute track with roaring guitars and explosive drumming interrupting this chill jam session. This eventually just falls apart with a cacophony of noise as the guitars, organs, drums, and keyboards play wildly before finally getting back to that groovy piano riff with added horns and otherworldly background vocals. This record also has some of the most energetic and catchy songs that Spiritualized has ever recorded, like Come Together and Electricity, which kind of border on pop rock, but the real talent lies within these more ethereal and transcendental psychedelic pieces. At number four, we have The Soft Bulletin by The Flaming Lips, released in 1999. This is the ninth studio album from the Oklahoma-based collective led by Wayne Coyne, the vocalist, guitarist, keyboardist, Thurman operator of The Flaming Lips. On this record, he also had Michael Ivins on bass and keyboards and Stephen Drodzd on guitar, keyboards, bass, and percussion. They also served as the backing vocals for a lot of these tracks. This record was quite the 180 from their previous record, Zyrica, which was an experimental album that had four discs that had to be played at the same time to get the full experience, which is very gimmicky. Who owns four CD players? But either way, on the soft bulletin, the lips embraced catchy melodies and poppy arrangements that still operated as these lush psychedelic ventures. Also, before I get into the individual tracks, I should point out that there are a lot of versions of this record. There's a US version, UK, Australian, a 5.1 version. Even the vinyl release has an altered track listing, but the version that I will be talking about is the US CD release, which features remixes by Peter Mochran. It's also the version that I listen to on Spotify. The change in sound is clear from the start with Race for the Prize, which opens with this rush of drums, strings, and synths very lighthearted and pleasant melody. If this is your first Flaming Lips record, then you're also introduced to Coyne's interesting vocal delivery. He sings in a higher register and almost strains his voice. He has an odd yet tender voice that I would say is one of the most recognizable voices in neo psychedelia. While Race for the Prize and a lot of the first couple of songs act more like pop than psychedelic songs, there are still a number of sonic effects and manipulations throughout the record that are otherworldly. We have a song like Feeling Yourself Disintegrate, which begins with a little raspy vocal tune. It goes brap, pop, pop, bouncing between both channels. Then the guitars and synths come in, along with Coin's vocals that echo out with the angelic backing vocals. It's a blissful listen at first glance until you realize that Coin is singing about death and that really altered my viewing of this song. And not like negatively, but I it altered the way that I listened to this song and the following song because now it sounds like Coin has this epiphany about death and life and it adds a bit of emotional weight to these tracks. And then that weight carries over into the next song, Sleeping on the Roof. After Wayne's disintegration, we have this instrumental that is equally euphoric with its ethereal sense and keyboards that slowly drifts away. One of the more beautiful set of tracks that the Flaming Lips have ever written and recorded. Then we have The Gash, which is the exact opposite of the tracks that I just talked about since we have these strings and pianos that are a bit disjointed. Then the vocals come in and they are manipulated in a way where Wayne and the backing vocals don't even sound human. It's these little studio tricks that make a world of difference when it comes to creating psychedelic music. 
one of my more favorite conventional songs on this record is Waiting for Superman. It's a very mellow piano melody with a booming drum rhythm. Maybe it's just me, but it just sounds like the drums were mixed as higher, just as a little bit lower than the vocals. But regardless, I love Wayne's message on this song. He stresses the importance of relying on ourselves when it comes to dealing with personal conflicts or drama and not relying on a Superman figure, whoever that might be in your life, to resolve or fix everything. This song has more of an emotional impact when you learn that Wayne wrote this song when his father was dying of cancer. I'm sure that he had to cope with that on his own and that might have been the inspiration for this song. So yeah, the song hits like a ton of bricks. One of Flaming Lips's best records. Highly recommend some of their other albums if you liked this one. And finally, at number five, we have Person Pitch by Panda Bear, released in 2007. I know I just had an episode talking about Animal Collective 2, in fact, a, a couple weeks ago, but I couldn't do this guide without mentioning some of their output, as they are one of the most well-known modern neo-psych groups, and they're very respected, and their work is just amazing. Plus, Animal Collective and Flaming Lips were kind of the inspiration for this week's topic because, you know, I did that episode of Animal Collective and I've been listening to the Flaming Lips release singles over the past couple weeks. And besides, I didn't go in depth with this record and I think it's an important and innovative record. This is Noah Lennox's third solo album under the Panda Bear alias and it was recorded using the Roland SP-303 sampler and the songs are crafted using a variety of samples, loops, and Lennox's layered vocals, he is able to create these beautiful and catchy psychedelic tapestries. The opening track, Comfy Nautica, wastes no time as an angelic choir is looped, enhancing Panda's soaring vocals. It's an opener that is already propelling you high into the sky, and the record very rarely drops us back to earth. We also hear Panda's unique uses of samples and inspirations such as a race car in Comfy Nautica, a medieval choir in I'm Not, the Indian drumming on Good Girl, and an owl hooting in Bros. And speaking of Bros, this 12-minute piece loops these tropical guitar arpeggios and manipulates Panda's vocals and also layers them creating these mesmerizing harmonies. It's impressive that he was able to create the rhythm of this song with only the use of these strings and chime loops. It's a testament to his talent as an artist. As the song progresses, I can't help but feel this dual feeling of ecstasy and claustrophobia with all these effects and layering on his vocals. It makes the song transcendental, and I get that same feeling of bliss like I did on the Soft Bulletin. But he starts bringing in more samples and instrumentation into the mix, and there's so much going on all at once, it's hard to focus on one particular thing. Now, under normal circumstances, this would negatively impact a song's listening experience, but because Panda is going for that grand psychedelic arrangement, I can't help but be in awe of his abilities. Good Girl starts with the Indian drumming I mentioned a minute ago, but that's swallowed up by the enveloping aquatic sound effects and Panda's vocals that loop and fade in and out with each other. It's very disorienting, but we're not even done with this track yet. Good Girl slowly fades away and transitions into Carrots, and I fucking love the stumbling piano sample here. It gives this track an anxious quality to it. Even the very mechanical breakdown sounds anxious. And fun fact, the outro of this song is created using a sample from a Kraftwerk song. 
seriously go listen to this record if you haven't before i've been re-listening to this record since i had to listen to it for this segment and i'm falling in love with it all over again and that concludes my list for essential neo-psychedelia albums and to recap the five albums that i listed are your self-esteem by mercury rev screamadelica by primal scream Ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space by Spiritualized, The Soft Bulletin by The Flaming Lips, and Person Pitch by Panda Bear. It's very difficult to choose which records to include on this list. Of course, I missed a lot. I didn't even get into the like 2010s Neo Psych. I mean, there are bands like Tame Impala and MGMT that initially got me into the genre, but it's nowhere near as grand or experimental as some of these artists here. Definitely not as iconic either. So please let me know, what are some of your favorite neo-psychedelia records that I have may, may have missed on this list? What else would you recommend to listen to? I came really close to including The Mollusk by Ween, as there are some psychedelic songs on that record, but much like Screamadelica, it's an album that hops from genre to genre. And what are some of your favorite bands, some of your favorite neo-psychedelic bands? Let me know. Tweet at me at Sound Encounters. Shoot me a message on Anchor. Reach out to me. I'd love to continue this conversation. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. And I was thinking about what I was going to do for next week. And I was thinking, you know what? I think it's time to unveil a new segment. So if you're curious as to what that segment is... Uh, I guess you just gotta stay tuned. Gotta gotta come back next week to figure out what I might be talking about. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. This has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.